Today's podcast is brought to you by Tyson Foods Deli Division. Tyson Foods Deli Division knows the challenge of addressing industry issues is not a retailer challenge, but rather one for all who partner together to deliver value for our shoppers. Our vision addresses what consumers really say they need. That's deli on a human scale. Welcome to the Deli Guys, a quarterly industry podcast with Wade Hansen, Principal of Technomics Advisory Group, and Eric LeBlanc, Director of Channel Marketing with Tyson Foods Deli Division. In this podcast, the Deli Guys will dive into the realities of consumers' four o'clock dilemma. Eric, you want to start off with your thoughts on kind of where the 4 p.m. dilemma came from, what it is, and how you react to it, then I can kind of respond and go into the next part of the conversation. Sure. The 4 o'clock dilemma is something that we all experience. We all have seen lots of articles on, right? It's, it's 4 o'clock, and X percent of people in the U.S. don't know what's for dinner that night. While that clearly is something true, uh, it also is something that I'm not sure that we understand fully. Because there's a question of not knowing what you want to do, that's a good thing, and not knowing what to do, which is a bad thing. So, for example, if I'm standing at an ice cream store and I have all these different flavors, and I'm having trouble deciding which one, that might be a good thing. On the other hand, if uh, I'm unable to get my choice of A or B, that inability to choose could be a bad thing. So the idea that we have this 4 o'clock and I don't know what to eat, Might be a good thing, might be a bad thing, but we've all sort of jumped to the idea that it's a bad thing, and I think that's something that we can continue to have some conversation about. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with you that this has been a longstanding belief of of many people in our business, many people selling prepared foods for a long, long time, but um, I might argue that it's been a theory that's grown as it's just become more and more repeated over the years. I think we've kind of uh, convinced ourselves of this. Um, there's a, a very real four o'clock scenario um, that we can help the shopper with, but I don't know that I would consider it truly a dilemma. And I think more and more of the research is, is indicating that that's the case. Uh, but this four o'clock circumstance, I think that's a very real question that we have, as an industry have to deal with of, of how we best accommodate uh, the shopper. Uh, and so, you know, as you know, we've recently – uh, turned our attention directly to the prepared food shopper to see if we could get a little more depth and a little more of an answer as to how they see that four o'clock circumstance shaking out. So, you know, I think as researchers, we always want to challenge hypotheses like this one, that there's this four o'clock dilemma. And so we went ahead and we asked a very large group of consumers, 2,000 to be specific, to imagine that they were visiting a prepared foods department at 4 o'clock on a weekday afternoon without any sense of what they might be buying on that particular evening. Um, The question then became, how do you, the shopper, feel in the midst of that situation? And one of the things that we found fascinating was of those 2,000 consumers we surveyed, only 87, 87, or about 4%, said the primary feeling was that of stress. And it was more likely that the shopper actually agreed with language describing the situation as common or mundane. And and then again, to my surprise, we had almost 30% who were saying a word like exciting or enjoyable or saying that it was an opportunity was even more appropriate. So when we as as an industry have consistently used the term dilemma, 
that can get interpreted as being some sort of quandary for the shopper or something difficult or unpleasant, um, that, that kind of shapes how we've behaved and how we've tried to serve that customer over the years. But that's not really what we're hearing from the shoppers themselves. So I'd say as an industry, we have to change our perspective a little bit. The consumer sees the perimeter as an opportunity to find a good prepared meal. And we as grocers or we as suppliers have to see the, the opportunity and we're effectively presenting them with a convenient, creative meal. Seeing this as problematic, um, you know, is, is a situation where maybe we're trying to alleviate consumer stress uh, and bear the responsibility for that, which is incredibly daunting and maybe off target, when we probably don't have to be. Yeah, I would agree 100% with what you're saying. And, and just to roll back a little bit to your earlier comments about the, uh, as is the case with so many things in modern culture, I think that we've had a, an echo chamber with the uh, uh, with this idea of this four o'clock dilemma that this is uh, um, you know terrible thing to be solved. As you were just saying, one of the things that I think is very interesting is just to ask a simple question, which we as humans often don't do. Um, if this were a problem, why hasn't it been solved already? Right? There's 350 million of us, or something like that, in the country, and not all of those are adults, but you know, if it's that common a problem, wouldn't you think we would have solved it already? It doesn't seem like it's that hard to solve. And so I think that the the words that you were talking about, even exciting or whatever, um, that the, that to look at it from a standpoint of it's a problem versus it's spontaneous. Spontaneous is something that, again, can be very welcome. Occasionally it can be disruptive. But it's part of what makes life interesting. So I think when you approach it as being something that is spontaneous and exciting, we're not necessarily trying to solve a problem for the shopper or the consumer, uh, but we're almost uh, thinking about how do we participate in this. And I think the question to ask, well, how does it make you feel? It's sort of amazing that we haven't done that up until now as, a, as an industry, to, to go to people and say, this is happening to you every day. How do you feel about that? That we all kind of just jump to an assumption about that. And I think it, the, the biggest lesson in here is let's, you know, make sure we understand what problem we're trying to solve and let's make sure that we understand what are the emotional drivers or what is the emotional content of what we think we're trying to solve for. Uh, because it's, it's really amazing that this is data that we've sort of gathered recently or been thinking about recently. Um, but there was, it wasn't locked in a box or anything. Anybody could have found out about this, but it just sometimes I think takes stopping and asking yourself, does this really hold water? And I think in this case it does not. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and be a spokesperson for defending all of us 350 Americans um, in, in that, you know, uh, one thing I would say is that it feels a little bit like over the last number of years we've been trying to solve for what's a moving target. And, and what I mean by that is um, all of this dialogue about the four o'clock dilemma may also be reflective of the changing consumer. You know, we can look at that shopper and their behavior is different based on their different need states. And I think it would probably be fair to say the consumer of even five or ten years ago was more consistent in their lunch and dinner. But now we have a, a, a lifestyle, we have a population um, where that prepared food shopper could be experiencing different needs multiple times a week. You know, one night it's 
convenience of no mess. The next night is how do I fit this into my budget? Um, you know, then there's something to share over the weekend when dining with family or, or how do you work a, a healthy meal or a more wholesome meal uh, into another night of the week? And, and some of those needs or need states, they don't really involve stress per se, and the consumer may just see the need to get in and out of the store quickly. No stress, just common situation of in and out of a store quickly. Um, some might not find the situation stressful because um, they say they'll find something or they won't. If they don't, they're comfortable going elsewhere to buy a meal from the, the myriad of choices of, of away-from-home food available down the street. So I think the research we've done shows that, that the consumer mentality towards that 4 o'clock purchase changes based on the need state, and those need states have evolved over the years. I thought one of the things that was a bit ironic in some of the research that, that we just completed was the shopper who identifies the, the quote-unquote 4 o'clock dilemma as least stressful is the one who has already said they've had a stressful day and knows they can get a quick, no-fuss meal from the prepared foods department at their local grocery store. So they've already built up this stress, and now the least stressful part of their day is going in and, and getting one of these meals. But I, I think, um, you know, we, we have to keep in mind that most customers walking into a grocery store at 4 o'clock for a prepared meal are doing so to, in fact, fulfill a need. You know, it's, it's like 7 out of 10 say it's solving for a need. It's not about the food or the experience necessarily. There is generally a need to be addressed. So uh, the more and more we look at this, we need to try to pinpoint what that need may be and how the prepared foods department can consistently be identified as the best way to find the perfect meal. So I guess one of my questions to you would become, um, you know, what ultimately are these needs? And if they're changing, how do the grocers and suppliers adapt to all these changes? Okay. So I want to start with is sort of a distinction maybe between behaviors, attitudes, values, um, and with the idea being that some things are of the moment in our response to stimuli, and some things are more about what are our enduring beliefs about how the world is and what our place is in it. So I wonder uh, about some of the things that you were describing, and I think you're right about it, that behaviors have changed, but I wonder about sort of the enduring beliefs and attitudes that underpin those behaviors if there really has been so very much change in those as we might think there were. Uh, so, for example, we think of the ideas that the family meal being uh, being dead, that, that that doesn't happen. And the reason it doesn't happen is because young people today just aren't focused on the family the way maybe we were once upon a time. But actually, in some studies that we've done and some studies I've seen elsewhere, uh, actually, young people, and by young people I'm talking about uh, adolescents 14 through 18, actually crave a family meal uh, together, and it's actually the parents who are sort of the sticking point in making that happen. And I don't think that's because the parents don't want to give their children what they had, but I do, I do think that's an occasion of uh, pressures, time pressures, et cetera, um, forcing behaviors, but underneath the idea of, gee, I like a family meal, I want uh, a meal experience to have these sort of emotional resonances in a way that I don't think changes from 
decade to decade or generation to generation. I think that's something sort of deep in the psyche of our species that we want those sorts of things to be part of our lives. I think the expression of it uh, is something that's much more of the moment. So, for example, um, you know, we were talking about how do people uh, decide on their meals, and you mentioned about how that references other meat states. And then I think a lot of times when we ask questions about how people are responding to their given meal state, meal state, we're kind of treating the that decision around dinner as though maybe it's a uh, a game of roulette that each and every meal is its own set of circumstances, and the next meal isn't really a part of the same set. Um, roulette every time you spin the wheel, you've got a 50% chance on red or black. Doesn't matter uh, what happened at the previous. The way that really plays out is more like a game of blackjack, where every hand has a new set of odds based on the decisions and actions that have been taken in prior hands. So I I think that idea of how the need states play out is much more complex than we want to consider. We want to sort of ask people to think of a meal and then how they respond to it. And again, I think it's much more complex. So driving to the second of your questions about what are the needs or how are retailers to respond to those needs, I think it has to do with how do you maintain flexibility? We already have a store that's got 40,000 SKUs in it. How do we make sure that it's easy for people to navigate? Because nobody can make 40,000 choices. But how do we make sure we're putting information into our shoppers' hands at the right point in that shopper journey that they can make good choices that support sort of their enduring beliefs and attitudes about the world regarding how they consume food with their others? And I think that putting that together, it's a, it's a marketing challenge. It's an information challenge in that in order for us to bridge that gap, we have to find ways to communicate that are not promotionally minded, but that are actually more about being an honest broker for our shoppers. So getting the information they need to have that spontaneous decision, here's three meal ideas, and they're easy to complete, and here's everything you need to go get that and complete that meal and enjoy that meal. And I think we need to speak about that in terms of this is an opportunity, this is a good thing. Not it's a crisis we're trying to solve because the way we talk about things matters. Let me go back to your earlier analogy, Eric. If, if I'm if I'm understanding this correctly, the, the the blackjack scenario. So if we the shopper end up having a winning hand, or the winning hand being a great meal from a certain local grocer, isn't that likely to bring you back to that same dealer and that same table the next time, as opposed to heading out to a different casino? I think that. A place, especially when we talk about the commodity that we're really dealing in is, in a sense, information, and that's allowing us to access. For example, a given meal idea could be equally well executed at retailer A or retailer B, but it becomes other factors that are involved in that game of, uh, of blackjack. When we come back to the same casino, probably has a lot to do with other things other than what happens at the blackjack table. It might have to do with decor. It might have to do with refreshments. It might have to do with the staff. There's lots of things that go into it. So I think that it's totally accurate to say that I'm likely to go back to where I have uh, I have had good success before, but I do think it's equally true to say if I bet on the next hand of blackjack the way I bet on this hand, that sooner or later that's not going to serve me well. 
so that the if there's a limited selection of choices, how well I respond to those choices and how much I enjoy the results of those choices is going to, at some point, no longer work for me. So it really is the infrastructure, if you will, the information capability rather than the individual solution, I think, that makes all the difference. Yeah, and I, I think my perception also, Eric, about a lot of this conversation is that those grocers need a deeper understanding of the consumer and why they buy what they buy. And Tyson and others like Tyson are, are doing the work to bring that sort of knowledge to the market, but and change is really hard for a lot of these grocers. And and it may end up, in my opinion, of being more of a supplier responsibility uh, for folks like yourself to educate the grocer about the consumer and how to best reach the same shopper at different times, including 4 o'clock, under different conditions. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I guess the only way I'd shade that meaning a little bit is I think there's an opportunity for suppliers to bring what they uniquely understand and what they can uniquely contribute. But I think ultimately it's it's like a, a three-way dialogue. I guess that's a little bit of an oxymoron, but it's a, it's a three-way conversation, we'll say, uh, between uh, or among the, the shopper, the retailer, and the supplier, because each of those three groups brings information to the table that the others don't understand. And again, I, I think a lot of that has to do with what are the what's the emotional underpinnings of why people are doing what they're doing. So much of what occurs in 21st century American marketing is really about manipulating the uh, the shopper, the consumer. And I think because that's what so much of it is directed at, uh, it gets perceived that way. And I think that changing that to a uh, shopper-centric or consumer-centric model. Um, that helps us identify what are the best ways to provide solutions for the consumer or for the shopper, puts us in a place where we all win uh, as opposed, opposed to where we are. We have almost a sort of adversarial relationship among those three groups, uh, and that's not really to anyone's benefit. Well, do you think that, that um, you know, when we think about uh, today's grocer, and, and I'm you had touched on something earlier when you used the, the when you referenced the emotion of of these decisions. Um, do you think that that there are uh, a high percentage of grocers out there who understand that uh, different meals are received or perceived in different ways emotionally? That that chicken wings and rotisserie chicken, for example, elicit unique reactions. That that some foods, you know, the consumer will attach. Um, an emotion like adventurousness to it. Uh, some foods, they might attach the emotion like nostalgia or, or pride, um, and, and that the assortment that, that the grocer is offering, to some degree, um, needs to hit the mark for the shopper on addressing those emotions at different times. Are you, are you convinced that there's a lot of grocers out there who, who are thinking about it that way, or maybe you don't agree with that? Uh, I, I don't think there's a lot of... Uh of grocers or, or, or retailers that are uh, thinking along those lines. Having said that, I don't think there's a lot of suppliers that are thinking that way either. So I think it's uh, sort of a, uh, a mutually dependent ignorance. Uh, and I, I want ignorance in terms of not knowing. Um, and so I, one of the places that I see this play out is that we talk to retailers about having uh, chicken wings, and when you look at how retailers respond to chicken wings, it's 
I want to offer a pound for X dollars. And that's, that's the only way to talk about it. Whereas if you look at a national chain that specializes in wings, whoever you might think of, um, if you look at their television ads, 0% of the time are they talking about the wings. What they're really talking about is the experience of being at the restaurant. So I think food service operators are further ahead than many retailers in understanding that the, the entire experience is what's operative and that when somebody chooses to go to that restaurant, it isn't necessarily for the food. Uh, it often is for um, for an, 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 a whole experience, right? Uh, so I, I think that when we look at what drives, it can be something from that sort of fun social experience I'd like to have. But if that's what wings means, then we have to figure out how to create something analogous. It won't be the same. It shouldn't be the same. We're not going to have television and beer and, and everything else uh, in the in the prepared foods department at a supermarket. But if wings are about fun, are we making it fun? Are we putting it in a context of fun? And I would say in the vast majority of cases, we aren't. So when we lose the uh, the tie to what that emotional connection may be, then we lose the real pull and we're left talking about product and price and nobody wins there. Yeah, and I would argue that, that – um Retail is going to lose that conversation more often than not uh, unless they do a better job communicating broadly. Um, and that, that um, if you want to win that 4 o'clock occasion, um, I, I think the grocer has to do a better job of communicating outside the store, uh, using social media, using local media. You reference television ads that food service is doing. Well, you know, we're, we're in a situation where, um, a lot of grocers are not going to be top of mind going forward against the rest of the away-from-home food industry uh, if there's such limited communication in the places where their shoppers um, hear about these messages. Um, you can't only attract the existing customer or your existing uh, center store shopper. I, I think these grocers have to do a much better job of effectively tailoring a message, getting that message out there, um, knowing who their customer is and, and how to address some of these needs that they have. And, you know, I think looking toward uh, food service is a great direction for retail to look. Um, but I think the other thing that they need to take some time thinking about is how do other retailers in, in non-food industries, how do they treat their shopper? And how do they craft a shopper experience? And I think that um, – Understanding the the interface, if you will, between environment and product assortment experience display. Um, but when you walk into uh, a high tech store, and if it if it feels good, it feels great because uh, everything about it says this is exciting, and I feel smarter being in here. And the right retail experience can sort of trigger an emotional response in you. Uh, and it seems to me that supermarkets have long ago given up, and retailers are not, excuse me, suppliers are not supporting them, but collectively we've just given up on the idea that someone can leave our stores happier than they went in. Yeah, as, as, we, as we kind of start to wrap this up a little bit, you know, I think 
the, the reality of, of the four o'clock dilemma is that uh, it is an opportunity uh, to trigger some of those emotions that you're talking about because it is an opportunity to find something new. It is an opportunity um, to find something exciting. It can be mundane. It is confusing. It's all of those things at different times. But the person looking for a meal at 4 o'clock isn't really contemplating their own state of mind. They don't say, what am I solving for? They just expect a meal to be available to them that kind of subconsciously gives them what they want at a given moment. And and that's what has to be anticipated by the grocer. And I think it's it's largely with the help of a lot of their supplier partners. It becomes seamless to the point that the shopper says, this store usually has exactly what I want at 4 o'clock. Uh, but that's something that has to be planned for and anticipated, and, and the emotions of those decisions have to be understood. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that um, there's a big difference between a need we have and a need we're able to articulate. And it's just fine if we have a need we can't articulate, uh, but often those are the things where uh, it's like when we have a, a itch that gets scratched when we didn't know we had an itch. Uh, but it it sort of it feels good. It feels right. Even if you can't articulate that you had the need or even that the need was met, there's just this sense of well-being. But, you know, uh, another example, another analogy I've used before is that um, if you – uh, have a goal of reaching the top of Mount Everest, you may or may not reach the top of Mount Everest. But the one thing I can guarantee you is nobody ever reached the top of Mount Everest without having that as a goal. Nobody ever woke up and said, hey, look where I am. So I think the idea of if we're shooting for meeting those deep needs of consumers and shoppers, I don't know how often we're going to hit them, but the one thing I know is we're never going to hit them by chance. I think you're right about that. Eric, always good chatting with you. It's always a good topic. 